0: Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema is a fractional new business team for growth-focused ad agencies. And typically with most, most clients, we are starting with outreach and appointment setting. And when it comes to this sort of task, which is really important for keeping the pipeline full, regardless of however busy or are not busy, our clients are, there are a few things that make us different. The first is that we are agency specialized. We only work with agencies and marketing service companies. And that's important because marketing leaders are skeptical and the process that's necessary to get meetings for complex marketing services is different for almost any other B2B service or or product out there. The second thing is that we are individualized. Everything we create is bespoke and handcrafted so we can be tasteful and protect our clients reputations. And the third thing is agile. And that means we think bigger and more creatively than simple outbound lead generation tactics. And we are constantly advancing our program to help our clients win. Since 2014, we've worked with more than 50 agencies of all stripes, conducted more than 7,000 individual campaigns, and generated more than 3,000 agency brand meetings. So if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing and see if we might be a fit for your needs, you can do that by going to saleschema.com and scheduling a consultation with us. Today on the show, we have Marcel Pettipaugh. Marcel is the co-founder and CEO of Paraquito, which helps agencies and consultancies create accurate data-driven estimates for their projects in seconds using their historic time-tracking data from Harvest. So this was basically our inaugural time-tracking episode, which might sound a little dry at face value but we're really talking about the most valuable commodity in human existence which is time and why it matters <laughs> and you know to get into that to get into some some things that I think are going to be really useful and tactical marcel talked about the biggest blind spots that he sees when agencies are thinking about time uh, this is where, you know, the little hinges swing big doors sort of dynamic happens. This is where that high leverage stuff lives, which is getting these little insights where you find out, okay, it turns out over the last six months, we have been spending too much time on X. We're going to stop doing X and we have now s- saved whatever it may be. That's the sort of thing that we're talking about here. And I think Marcel has developed, first, a really good process for identifying these sorts of gems uh, in the context of building a consultancy, which he's now segued into basically a product, a software product that ties in agency time tracking data. So without further ado, please give it up for Marcel Petipa. Marcel, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Our inaugural time tracking episode, and we've we've sort of danced around time tracking. (laughs) We've had lots of episodes on automation and different tools and widgets, widgets and stuff, but I'm glad to finally be digging into the one most precious commodity, right? The thing that we can't ever buy or, or, or I guess we can sell it. We can't really get more of it though once it's gone. So <laughs> I guess as a jumping off point, you know, you're, you're behind a product that's about time tracking that we're going to get into. What are, what are those most common blind spots that you see? My guess is you're working with agencies that have been tracking time for a long time. Like what's the, what's the one thing that is, comes up more times than not um, in terms of blind spots
1: yeah so i mean honestly i work with um usually when i work with them they're already tracking time they're just trying to get better at you know improving the profitability of their agency but i do see a lot of agencies that don't believe that they need to or should be tracking time because you know maybe they're billing based on value or flat rates and because they're not billing by the hour they don't see the purpose of tracking time. And that really is, I think the biggest blind spot is people not really being clear about what is the purpose of tracking time for an agency and thinking that it has more to do with the client or more to do with keeping, you know, like eyes on top of their team to make sure their team's working hard enough and not really thinking about how and why it is the most valuable set of data that you can use as a service business owner, as an agency owner to improve the profitability and efficiency of your business. Because at the end of the day, your direct labor costs is going to make up 40 to 65% of your PL. It's your largest variable cost. And it is the largest variable cost as it relates to earning your revenue. That's another thing to think about if you own an agency. When you sell work, it's a liability, it's not an asset it costs you money to earn it and it can cost you more money to earn that revenue than you actually brought in. I've seen that happen numerous times and I'm sure you've been in a position if you've been running agents here for a while where maybe it costs you money to work with a client because you spent too much time on it. So um, that's the biggest blind spot really is just not being clear about what's the purpose behind this time tracking data. What kind of questions do we want to be able to answer with it? And then by virtue of the fact that we haven't defined that upfront, oftentimes the system ends up being set up incorrectly. The data ends up being not that useful and, we kind of get to this existential point where we're spending all this time and energy tracking time and chasing our team down to track time, but we're not actually using the data to create an impact in the business, and that's where the gap is.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I want to get it, get tactical and get into useful stuff soon, but to mm-hmm. kind of fly off the rails for a second, how much of how much of the time do you think it's willful blindness, right? Because what I find is mm-hmm. that it's really addictive to go through the PNL and be like, okay, we can cancel this software tool or whatever, we cancel this, this thing. But having to track time and what people are doing makes you have to make bigger, harder decisions about who you work with, structure the business and so on.
1: Yeah, 100%. I I think a lot of it comes from resentment or resistance to the idea of time tracking. In a lot of cases, maybe somebody has come from a larger agency or in an environment where time tracking data was being used and weaponized, you know, to stay on top of the team or they were billing clients for work and they kind of resent the idea of tracking time because of that negative experience, which I totally understand. And to your point, the other side of it is like, it's a lot harder to take a step back and talk not about how can we, you know, get a cheaper project management tool or share a license to save, you know, a hundred bucks a month and think about how can we become more efficient at earning revenue? How can we become more efficient in the way that we deliver results to our clients? How do we, you know, evaluate the process by which we create results for our clients and essentially find a way to make what we do more profitable and more scalable. And yes, oftentimes that means having a a hard look at like where we're spending our time as owners and executives, where our team's spending their time. If we even have the correct team composition, it can lead to some pretty daunting tasks. Um, Especially if you're, you know, more of a creative type of person that wants to be doing the work and wants to be, you know, spending your time on, you know, the creative aspect of the business and you're not really uh, excited about the, the back end or the operations of the process, but there's a certain scale where you know we see this a lot right around the 12ish employees mark where as an owner you really have to start removing yourself from client work and start thinking about how to run the business. We see a lot of people butting up against this as they hit that first growth ceiling, um, and the symptoms of that might be poor cash flow. You're like, man, we're super busy, but we don't have a whole lot of cash in the bank. You know why is that? Or finding it hard to find the money in the business to start buying back your time to actually get yourself out of client work. So. Um, yeah, we, we see all that kind of stuff. And to some degree, it, it might be willful in that they're afraid to kind of grow to the next level, or they're just not excited about taking on the work that it's going to take to get to that next level.
0: Yeah. And then I think what what I found kind of digging into the hours and asking tough questions is just a lot of the stuff that you just kind of end up doing that, you know, either an owner or or some executive has imposed ends up just becoming arbitrary stuff that you just, you just do because you do it, you know, and you, you don't really ask why. And then you find out that, okay, nobody really cares. The client doesn't care that you do this thing or whatever whatever part of the project you think is necessary, but actually isn't. So right. um, I, I guess I, I want to get into that more and and that, that 12 employee level off, level off point and kind of some, some other things that you've talked about. First, let's take a step back and talk about, we you know what it is uh, Parakito does and kind of how, how you're approaching this problem with your product.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Pear Keto started as a consultancy and we did agency profitability consulting. So we would go into agencies and help them figure out how to make more money, how to become more efficient, how to become more scalable. And the fundamental model that we use to do that is what I call the agency profitability flywheel, which basically is four steps to creating a foundation for a scalable agency. It starts with becoming really clear about how we make assumptions about client work, because no matter what kind of work you do for clients, whenever you give them a price, that price is based on some kind of set of assumptions of how much it's going to cost you uh, in terms of time, in terms of contractors, in terms of materials to deliver The outcome that the client's asking for in the end and some kind of objective in terms of how much margin you want to make. So really formalizing the way in which we create those assumptions, the way in which we, you know, um, come up with those assumptions, the way in which we structure them is kind of step one. Step two is measuring what actually happens. So were our assumptions correct? Yes or no and having some data to give us an objective viewpoint into where the gaps might exist between what we think is happening and what's actually happening when we do client work the third step is more of a qualitative feedback loop so that first part that's a quantitative feedback loop The second part is a qualitative feedback loop so that means more of the soft stuff sitting down and talking to the team about hey we're consistently you know going over budget on this aspect of the project. Why do we think that is? Do we need to change the way we estimate this? Do we need to change the way we do it? Is there an opportunity to become more efficient? And really what we're asking in those meetings is how do we do things that we want to repeat more often and how do we avoid the things that are hurting us um, you know, on a consistent basis? And that essentially, when we think about this from a mathematical perspective, what we're doing when we're collecting data is imagine you have a graph, right? This is how estimation essentially works, no matter how you do it. On one axis, you have effort. And you might quantify effort as time, as story points, as cost, if you're outsourcing all of your work and labor. And then on the other axis, you have what I call your scoping metric, which is whatever inputs you're collecting in the, uh, in the onboarding or the client discovery phase, right? So you might be asking them, how much is your budget? Maybe that's your scoping metric. Maybe it's how many web pages do you need? How much ad spend do you have to spend per month, right? And based on those inputs, you're going to make an assumption about how much time and effort is it going to take us to do this thing for the client. And you're developing subconsciously this relationship between those two things. For every X number of web pages, X dollars in ad spend, X dollars in budget, it's going to take us, on average, this much additional time or this much additional cost to deliver this to the client. And so like, we're always trying to create this relationship line. We're generally just doing it subconsciously. And what we want to try and do is get that process out into the world so that when we collect data, we can actually put data points on that graph of like, here's how many you know, scoping metrics input we collected, and here's how long it took. We get a lot of those data points in the graph. Now we have a statistically reliable relationship line. And then the second part of this is talking to the team about how do we close that gap, and that informs process improvements. And you can imagine process improvements kind of create pressure and push the distribution of those data points towards the middle of the graph. So now the concentration is getting closer and closer and closer to relationship line. So eventually, you are able to basically create a statement that says for every X number of inputs that you collect from the client during discovery, we are going to have to input this much additional effort into the project. And that becomes very reliable as you just like collect enough data around it. And so You can do this process on your own with your own tools and build spreadsheets around it. And that's what we kind of did as consultants for the first couple of years that we worked with clients. And now we built a tool called Paraquito that helps you actually just do that automatically. So you go in, you create estimates, and you select projects from the past that seem similar to the one that you're about to estimate. And it creates that relationship graph and that relationship line for you and allows you to automatically create accurate estimations in seconds using that historical data and create that quantitative feedback loop on your own. And uh, so far, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really exciting watching agencies implement that and get results really quickly. Gotcha. That that makes sense. And and what what are some of those
0: Some of those insights, like other examples that you can go over of, of just sort of like forehead slapping wins where people look at the data and, and they're like, it actually turns out we're spending way too much time on X.
1: Yeah. I mean, like one perfect example is like they, we, we had a client find that they were building websites and they were repeating, you know, there was so much of this kind of very mechanical foundational design work that they had to do that was very consistent across most of their websites. So one of the team members said, well, Hey, you know, they were using Figma to do these designs. One of the team members said, Hey, you know, I was reading up on, you know, the Figma help docs. And they mentioned this thing where you could kind of create these reusable elements, and, uh, and then have this kind of like master style sheet that you could define per project. And so they, that the team surfaced this idea and they all said, well, why don't we all, you know, go take a quick like training course on how do you better use Figma and then set up some of these templates based on the last couple projects that we've done. And that cut the amount of time it took them to do their next website project in half. Right. So, so their margin essentially like doubled on that next website project and they get to carry that forward forever. Right. So this is an example of the kind of thing that if you're removed now from client work as an executive, you're getting to the stage where you're not in there doing the day-to-day, your team is the only, they're the only people with enough context to like really surface those kinds of opportunities. Um, And that's why we want to get them involved in this process and really become facilitators. And the beauty of that is it creates the buy-in for them to go, yeah, like we'll take ownership of this project. Like it was our idea. We're going to go implement it. And eventually you can kind of train your team to run this process and, and optimize your business for you. Right. And that's,
0: that's obviously pretty, pretty compelling. Um, I I guess my question is like, at what point um, does the process get messier than just time tracking, right? Like there's a lot of models now whereby agencies are working with strategic partners. You might have pretty big software investments, whatever it may be. Um, And then there's, I think there's other complicating factors in that. It seems like the, like time tracking is kind of geared towards um, a, a kind of high level of work, like a creative enterprise, creating sites, creating this sort of thing versus one, like a media agency that might be performance-based is kind of more like a hedge fund, you know? Um, so I, I guess I'm curious, like, does, w- what's the limitation of time tracking and is there a more unified process that kind of takes all the investments uh, into consideration that you've seen?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the, this is a really interesting question. One of the things that I often talk about is finding the correct level of complexity in the way that you structure your time tracking data. Because to your point, depending on what type of work your agency does, how you're billing your clients, what that mix looks like, you're going to have a different set of considerations, a different set of questions that you might need answered. Because when you change your billing structure, when you change the type of work that you're doing, even when you change your process, you're introducing different areas of risk in the business, right? So on one, on one hand, the area of risk might be, you know, you're outsourcing to a lot of contractors. So depending on how you pay those contractors, right? The, the amount of risk might be tied to how much time they spend on tasks, because you're hiring them based on tasks, or maybe it has to do with roles. So when you're structuring your time tracking data, you have to be really clear about, and the way I usually encourage people to think through this is reverse engineer. When something goes wrong, what are the questions that you're asking yourself to try and identify why? right? Are you asking more questions about the process? Are you asking more questions about the people? Are you asking more questions about what stage in a process things went awry? Or are you thinking more in terms of like, well, what area of the project went awry? Like, was it design or development? You know, so really reverse engineer your thought process. And that's going to help you determine like what level of complexity you need to introduce into the way that you track time. And also like how you need to structure that so that it can actually help you answer those questions. And of course, the limitation with the data is it's going to tell you like roughly where to look, based on how you've structured it, but it's never going to tell you exactly what went wrong. And that shouldn't be the objective here with time tracking data. You're going to determine what went wrong and like where the real risks are by using that information to then facilitate conversations with the people who are involved in the process. And that combination of, you know, data to help you focus your, your attention, essentially, and where you're investing your energy. And then the team and the people who are actually in the weeds to provide the context, and to have that, you know, deeper discussion about, you know, here's what's working, here's what's not working, here's what we can do differently next time. Um, that's really the combination that you should be seeking in your business to to get all that full level of insight and to improve your profitability and efficiency over time. Because at the sure. end of the day, you know everything has a process to it. It might be very high level. It might be very bespoke from one thing to another. But eventually, you're going to start to zero in on like the patterns that lead to more consistent outcomes that are beneficial for you and your client.
0: Sure. So, so how often are the better agencies that you're working with that are doing this right? What's their cadence for looking at the data? Like if they're looking at it every day then they're probably jumping lanes too much. And and if they're looking at it not enough, then they're not, they're wasting money and so on. So what's the right, like who, you know, if we're talking about that, let's say 15, 20 person agency, Who's looking at this data? How often are they looking Mm -hmm. at it? And so on.
1: Yeah. A lot of this comes down, it comes down to two things for me. Number one, I always encourage, like, you need to find a cadence to talk about this stuff that is going to be sustainable because the last thing that you want is to be canceling this meeting every other time um, to like have a discussion about project performance because there's client work to do. Cause that sends the signal to your team that this isn't important and that their feedback and their input And like improving these processes isn't important. And so that's the kind of the first thing, right? Is you have to find the cadence that works well for you. And the second big factor here is it depends really on what your kind of work cycle looks like. If you're doing projects that last six months, eight months, 12 months, you might only need to look at this on a monthly basis because things are just not changing that fast, right? The, 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 the story arc, so to speak, of your projects is, is a very long time horizon. Whereas if you're doing stuff that is very quick turnover, you're doing very small projects, or maybe you're managing um, retainers that have a lot of activity inside of them, then you might need more frequent touch points. So a certain amount of this comes down to just like, what is the level of risk over a time horizon? And that's going to help you determine like how often you should be checking in. Because of course, the last thing you want is to get on a meeting and to basically have no new information to discuss. So it's really just a question of like, when is there a significant enough volume of new information that you can facilitate a discussion and and extract new insights? Um, So in my case, like we're typically looking at um, reviewing projects on either a weekly or bi-weekly basis in, with most of the clients that I work with because they've got enough turnover in their projects that that's a useful exercise. And one thing to note here is there are two formats that I typically see. The more traditional one is what we call you know retros, which m- most people are familiar with at the end of the project. You sit down with the team and you talk about how did the project go? And that's, you know, if that works for you, that works for you. My preference is what I call project performance cadences, where we define every two weeks or every three weeks or every four weeks, we're going to sit down as a team. We're going to pull up a report that shows us our estimates versus actuals for all our ongoing projects and then some of the recent projects that might have closed since our last discussion. And then during that conversation, we're going to use the data to say like, Oh, here's a, here's something that went really well. Like what, what was true about that project that, you know, we might be able to repeat or, you know, what happened there that was unique that caused it to go so well. And then here's something that, you know, didn't go as planned. What do we think happened there? And we're just basically facilitating a discussion guided by that data to say, where are the gaps, where are the opportunities? And then we put that into a backlog. And I like to run our process improvement conversation. So there's kind of two meetings here. There's project review and then process improvements. I like to run those usually on two-week sprints. And that's where we sit down with a cross-functional team. We prioritize the ideas that have surfaced out of these group discussions and we say, you know, which one of these do we think is going to have the highest impact with the least amount of effort? We assign, you know, who's going to lead that. We make sure we protect some time in their schedule so they can work on it. And just like a product development cycle, you know, we'll work on that in two week increments to try and install small improvements and process and move those projects forward. Right, right. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, and with with the backtrack
0: a little bit, and I've heard this come up before. You mentioned that twelve employee mark, and I think that figuring out, you know, when to when to think, when to to plan level off points and also just what's a good kind of like agency model for where you're at. Like if you're, you know, comparing yourself to a web design shop that has a project every week and you're a big agency that does six figure massive engagements with Fortune 500 companies or seven figure, that's probably not going to make sense. So I, I guess with that in mind, like what is it about that 12 employee level off point? Um, and and what, like, what do you think changes at that point and subsequent stages from there?
1: Yeah, there's there's kind of two major gross ceilings that we see a lot of because our, our core client is right around that 10, 12 employee mark up to, you know, probably 40 or 50. And we see two distinct growth ceilings in the trajectory from you know one point to another. And that 12 employee mark is is generally fairly challenging because that's the first time that as an owner, you're reaching a point where you cannot have your entire team directly report to you anymore. You can't really manage more than 12 direct reports. At that point, things start to break down. So you're now having to remove yourself from, you know, directly interfacing with clients and probably removing yourself from even directly interfacing with some of the people that are doing work for your clients. So that's your first um, time as a leader, likely in this business that you're having to go from transactional leadership to, you know, leading through other people. And part of the reason why that's difficult, there's two major reasons. The first is often that requires you to make an investment in hiring or promoting people to a more senior position, and that requires cash flow. And often at this stage, businesses are struggling with cash flow because they've kind of gotten to where they are by figuring out how to get clients, but they've never stopped to think about, okay, well, like how profitable are our clients? And because they haven't really you know, had that conversation or looked into that, they're experiencing cash flow issues. Their gross margin's probably not very good. They're probably over clients. Maybe they're at a point where their utilization is kind of peaking and dipping because they don't have necessarily a, a consistent workflow around how to get clients. So, those are some of the kind of early symptoms that get them in a cash flow position that makes it challenging. And then the other side of that is visibility. The reason that they're experiencing all of those challenges and they're also reluctant to take a step back from, you know, directly interfacing with clients or directly interfacing with the delivery team is because they really don't have any way to like measure their performance. Um, most of the time, the infrastructure is just not there for that kind of stuff. So those are generally two of the things that we end up, you know, when we are doing consulting, we ended up working with them on, and we often, you know, coach them on, if we're doing content, it was like, you got to start to install some of the basic, reporting structures that are necessary to get an understanding of, are you earning revenue efficiently? Are you doing so profitably? Are there you know, basic processes and frameworks that are being followed that ensure a certain level of consistency and quality to the work? And can you, as an owner, you know, in a fairly timely manner, go in on a regular cadence, check in on that, and get the information you need about what's working and where you actually need to focus your energy? Because that's really like... The, the transition is you go from being able to like be involved in everything to having to choose where you're going to get involved. And you need right. a certain amount of data to help you actually like understand and self-direct where it, you're best suited to in, invest that effort so, and energy. So
0: that's that sort of operational or controllership role. I, I think one of one mistake that I've made as an owner is getting stuff off my plate too early <laughs> before mm-hmm. it's the right thing. Uh, And I see that a lot with our clients, and agencies we work with. So I guess at what stage do you think it makes sense to get that controllership role off your plate and that sort of like high level measurement and performance role? And once you're ready to do that, you know, you guys do consulting. I mean, do you think that is a role that's outsourceable? Or do you think that that's something that has to be built in house?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I certainly think that like, it's important for you as an owner to have an understanding of like where the data is coming from and how it's, you know, how it works, what it means how it's calculated, all of that good stuff. But, you know, the task of building these reports is often very, very mechanical. So um, it's actually, you know, most of the time, it's not a 100 or 200 or $500 an hour task. You know, it's, it could be a 25 or 50 or $100 an hour task that could can and should be outsourced once you kind of get a basic understanding of like how the, all the infrastructure works together. It's not necessarily a great use of your time to be spending a few hours a week, you know, collecting timesheets and piping them into a spreadsheet and you know, creating your dashboards and stuff like that, you could easily have someone else on the team take care of that for you. And then really, your role is to kind of come in, have a look at that, interpret that information, and then make decisions about, you know, where we need to focus, like where who we need to talk to where we might be having issues in the business. Um, That's really your role is to interpret and act on that data. And what we kind of did as a consulting firm is we would come in and we would help owners essentially figure out like, what's the fundamental infrastructure that you need? Do you have the right time tracking tool in place? Is your time tracking data structured the right way? What's your estimation process look like? We kind of went through all the nuts and bolts of connecting those things together. And then we would usually stay on in a retainer for several months to you know, help them on like get used to looking at the data, interpreting the data, and acting on the data. And once they kind of got their feet under them, then most of the time it would kind of make sense for us to start stepping back a little bit and letting them kind of run the business once they got familiar with it. It. So that's really, I think the path when you get to that stage is you might have to get in the weeds a little bit to kind of do some of this work, but, um, don't be afraid to bring somebody in. That's going to be much better suited at building spreadsheets or at, you know, plugging this data together to help you get the nuts and bolts working. Cause at the end of the day, what's important is that you understand the information and you're able to act on it. That's really it. Right. Right. And and
0: to turn the conversation to what you're up to now mm-hmm. at Parakeeto, uh, can you talk about that a bit? Just kind of what you know, what the product does to actually help agencies form better estimates and have more
1: profitable projects before they even start. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what we discovered while we were doing consulting is that, um, of course, like the foundation of all this was estimation. If you couldn't consistently structure your estimates and even make them accurate, if you couldn't accurately predict essentially how long it was going to take you to do things, how much time it was going to take you, how much money it was going to cost you, then it's really hard to consistently be profitable. It's really hard to resource plan properly, right? So like, The reason most agencies work a lot of evenings and weekends is because their deadlines are not elastic, but the amount of time it takes them to do things is, right? And that's a result of not being able to accurately predict how long it's going to take. And so all of those kind of challenges stem from, you know, the starting point, which is not having very accurate estimates. And so we started to learn very quickly that that was an area we needed to solve for with a software tool. And what we learned was that most agencies, when they think about estimating projects, or client work, their workflow is often very much the same. They go back and look at, well, what's another piece of work that we've done that kind of smells similar to this one? And let's pull up that estimate or let's pull up that time tracking data. Let's see how long it took us. And then based on that, we'll make a couple of tweaks and we'll send this out to the client. But that workflow, of course, was very manual. And if we wanted to add more data to make it more, you know, statistically reliable when we're doing that analysis, that being a manual process, it was very time consuming. And so everyone kind of had this thought process that like, if I want to make my estimates more accurate, it needs to take a lot more time. And, you know, we believe that that just wasn't true. There was ways to make that workflow actually a lot smoother. And so we started building the product and what the product essentially does is just that it allows you to say, client wants a website, here's five websites that we've done um, that are similar out of our time tracking tool, you just select them, it pulls them into a workspace and basically draws this graph for you and draws the relationship line between effort and your you know budgets. And it does that for every role in the business or every task that you track time against. So for example, if you set your time tracking tool up to say how many design hours, how many development hours, how, how many project management hours have we spent, then it maps that out for you for the new estimate. And then as you create tweaks to that estimate and adjust hours up and down, it helps you understand in real time how that compares to your previous projects on the graph and what you can expect to get as an hourly rate. Or, you know, vice versa, if you have an hourly rate that you're targeting, how much you need to charge the client in order to realistically hit that. So it really helps you get a really nice gut check as you're creating estimates, and compare it to your past projects that you're starting off on the right foot. And then where we're heading with this, of course, is being able to push that into your time tracking tool so that it's structured properly. So that you can start to measure if those estimates were accurate or not, and essentially start building your own algorithm in your business to estimate accurately and start compensating for you know, the things we all do, right? That we're we're constantly over underestimating a certain area of the business because we're optimistic. So we can start to build you an algorithm to compensate for that. And ideally get to a place where as the owner, you're not the one that has to do this anymore because you can have somebody with less context use this data to get to a really strong estimate out of the gate. Cool, cool. That makes a lot of sense.
0: And yeah. to, to move, move things uh, a little more into conceptual land and so on, What do you think about a world without time tracking? Right, a world where you know we're kind of moving towards this free agent model, where everybody's remote. You know, everybody's kind of this free agent. Um, And you know, when agencies are charging clients, it's more the exception that they're charging by the hour. Most people are putting together packages. You know, that are that are well defined, charging based on value. So why why can't that happen on an individual level? Like, what's stopping it from going to you know, a one-to-one basis like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, nothing really. But I guess at the end of the day, like when you're talking about any kind of service, somebody has to spend the the nature of that is that somebody has to spend time Mm -hmm. doing the work in order for the revenue to get earned. And so you as an agency could say, you know what, we're just going to pay everyone a flat rate on a per project basis. But all you're doing in that case is you're abdicating the responsibility of accurately scoping the project to your contractors. And if you're still not doing a good job of scoping how much time it's going to take, then eventually contractors are not going to want to work with you anymore, because you're going To pay them, you know, you're going to end up paying them half of what they're worth when they start doing the math on their own and say, like, man, I I spent two weeks on this project, I only made a grand. Like, that doesn't add up, right? So, at some level, even if you're abdicating the responsibility, sure, you're de risking your business model. That's great, that's smart, but it's still not going to be sustainable to some extent. At the end of the day, it always boils down to time. Now, with that being said, I think a common misconception is that the only way to track time is to use timesheets, and that's just not true. There are agencies like Media Monks, for example, that have scaled to you know over a thousand employees. They've never used timesheets; they use a resource plan as their time tracking source of truth, and that's just as valid, I think, of a methodology. But their business model makes that more possible because they tend to have teams working on the same projects for longer periods of time. So the overhead and the burden of maintaining the integrity of that data set is not as high as an agency where a single person might be touching five or six different clients in a day in that kind of a situation, resource based, resource plan based time tracking would be far less feasible. So that's just another consideration, right? It's like, there's other ways to track time that don't necessarily require you to use timesheets. Cause I know a lot of people don't like them. Um, but at the end of the day, I just don't see a way that you can run um, that you can truly optimize your service business without having some level of insight into like how much time it actually takes you to do things. At least in the early stages, once you've really formalized and really standardized your processes, um, then it becomes perhaps less important, but certainly not unimportant.
0: Sure, sure. I, th- I think that's right. I think they'll they'll pr- will probably probably always be some level of time tracking. I guess just what, where I've seen it trending with a lot of our clients and with us is that there's just more and more tasks that are being handled by strategic partners and other companies where, you know, it's like, yep. yeah, we used to have to hire freelancers to do this thing, but then that freelancer would fall off the face of the earth every three months. And now there's this company that we just keep on on retainer and they, they just handle this thing. So it's more right. like cobbling together this weird kind of mishmash of hours and flat rates and stuff. So I, I just wonder... I guess I wonder, is that going to keep
1: trending in that direction or is it going to, you know, kind of remain in
0: stasis like it is now?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I think it just depends on the industry. I think in certain areas where the work is much more transactional, um, that is certainly a great way to do it. Um, and again, you're abdicating the responsibility of managing margins to that third-party vendor. One of the disadvantages with that is you're typically going to end up with lower gross margin by virtue of the fact that, um, you know, you're having, everybody needs to have a certain amount of gross margin. So you're stacking that the more levels of, you know, third-party outsourced, uh, you know, vendors that you're using, um, typically it's gonna eat into your margin compared to hiring an in-house team, but certainly it's a great way to reduce the, the points of risk in your business as it relates to, you know, scope and overruns and that kind of stuff. And at the end it of the day, I mean it will always be a hybrid
0: approach of some sort. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I think what we're seeing a lot in our space, it, you know, when we work with a lot of digital agencies is the the core team is certainly becoming smaller, right? And a lot of the people that interface directly with the client, that is an in-house team that is, you know, close to the business. And then, yeah, a lot of kind of secondary or specialized services are going to get put into more of an elastic workforce or some kind of a, a partner. Um, but one thing to note about this is, you know, we're seeing a lot more like unlimited... X unlimited web development, unlimited design for X dollars a month. But I, I know all the guys and gals that are running those businesses, when you start asking them for too much work, they're going to call you and ask you for more money. Like it, it isn't truly unlimited, right? So there always is some level of aspect um, here of like time versus money. It, 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 that's just the nature of the business. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs>
0: like there, there <laughs> are limits, you know. Once you're clearly leaving the sushi on the table, they charge you for it. So, um, it. I, I'd, I and to kind of get into inside baseball a little bit. I think there's something really uh, interesting that you guys have done with the business, which is basically hitching your wagon to Harvest, which is the the seems to be the leader in time tracking. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, what kind of factored into that decision and uh, the the you know how you feel about the risk and reward of, of of latching up to one platform versus many others and so on
1: yeah um so that's an interesting question honestly we we did that out of discipline um you know if you if you 've ever re- read the lean startup you know they talk about a lot about the importance of building kind of a minimum viable product, and I think this is really like informed by. I think something we did early on with Parakeeto with the first time that we tried to build a software product inside of the consultancy, we over-engineered it at first. And then whenever we kind of tried to get people using it and we had to iterate on it, it took us too long to iterate because, you know, with software, every line of code that you add creates, you know, complexity, essentially every line of code that you write in a sense is debt. So Changing the color of a button, you know, when the app is really, really lean, it doesn't have a lot of features might take you five minutes, but if the app is way over engineered, it might take you five hours, right? Because you're, you're, there's more things that that's touching. And so really what the reason that we chose only harvest to start is because, you know, this estimate product is only a few months old. And we know that we are going to have to do a lot of iteration, like within This critical path of like somebody signs up and connects their time tracking tool to the point where they've successfully created a a statistically accurate estimate and they're ready to put that in front of the client. You know, we know we need to work out a lot of the kinks between point A and point B. And it's a lot easier to do that if we keep the complexity of the product low. And one of the best ways for us to do that right now is to say we're only integrating with this one time tracking tool. Once we figure that out, the plan is, of course, to add way more. And believe me, as a CEO, it's frustrating to see like 40 leads a month come into our pipeline and only like 10 of them are actually qualified to use our product because everybody else is using different time tracking tools. But that's a decision that we had to make early on in order to be able to move quickly and truly get product market fit so that we could then scale faster later. Um, yeah. Right. Right. And that, that makes sense. And it comes up in our, in
0: our world a lot with agencies we work with and might be on a particular web platform or something like that. And I think niching, you know, by platform always has like really big rewards and really big risk, you know, and, uh, a lot of our clients have gotten direct referrals from those platforms. They might be listed on a directory site or something like that. But then if something shifts, if something shifts in the landscape, if that platform goes down, it becomes less popular. Then there's, there's risk there too. But I think treating it as MVPs seems like a no brainer. So that makes a lot of sense. Cool. And, and I guess kind of, kind of getting towards uh, the end of the time, Marcel, I'd love to just hear, you know, what's, what's the big focus now? Like what do you guys really, uh, what do you guys really were focusing on these days? What's you know keeping you busy?
1: Uh, I mean, this really, like, uh, we've really leaned into earned media as kind of our first channel to get exposure. So getting on podcasts, adding as much value as we can. Um, And that's really been fun, because this is what we've done, you know, for two years as consultants is going in and and teach agencies, you know, how to set up this infrastructure, how to get their processes in place, what kind of benchmarks they should be aiming for, like how much gross margin should you have? what, What kind of net profit should you have? How much of your Revenue should you spend on administration and sales and marketing and you know your own salaries and your team like all these like nitty gritty details that don't get talked about enough. And now we get to kind of go out on shows like this and talk about this stuff openly and just kind of like really share it and try to add as much value as we can. Um, So this is what's keeping me busy for the summer, man. It's just getting on podcasts, talking to smart people like you, and and hopefully helping whoever's listening to figure out. You know, this really tricky stuff that, uh, everybody ends up running into when they're scaling an agency. Yeah. And
0: I find it to be sometimes kind of fun, like getting to, you know, ironically, I find that there's people, there's more and more creatives I meet that once they get into the spreadsheet game, kind of fall in love with it. I've just noticed that. And uh, I'm not necessarily creative, but it's just, it, 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 there is something kind of, uh, addicting about it, you know, (laughs) I'm not sure what
1: it is. So so definitely encourage people to check out what you're doing and how can people get in touch with you? Well, and and I'll speak to that and say that making money is fun. And so when you start to like see on a piece of paper, like, Hey, we're making more money than we were before. That's a good feeling. You know, it's good for the business. It's good for your team. It's good for everyone. So with all that said, yeah, if anybody um, is listening and you want to get in touch, if you have questions, if there's a way that I can be helpful, or you want to check out what we're doing, um, head to parakeeto.com. We have a free toolkit that includes a bunch of um, really useful spreadsheets, cheat sheets. Some of them include all the kind of different benchmarks that you should be hitting as an agency and a lot of tools that we've use with our consulting clients. So you can grab that at paraketo.com forward slash toolkit. And I hope that that's helpful for you. And uh, make sure you check out our podcast as well. I nerd out about stuff like this all the time on our show. It's the Agency Profit Podcast. And Dan's going to be a guest on the show as well. So you can stay tuned for that. Yeah, coming right up. Marcel, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Once again, our show is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema is a fractional new business team for growth-focused marketing agencies. And if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing and see if we might be able to help out, you can do that by going to salesschema.com and scheduling a consultation with us. Look forward to catching you on the next episode.